Today we begin another new journey, a uh, journey through Paul's second letter uh, to the Corinthian church, a journey that will going to take us deeper into the Word of God and with that deeper into the mind and the heart of God, uh, a journey that I hope will reveal Paul's heart for the Corinthians and a journey that will reveal Jesus' heart for his people, his disciples. And so when we think of Paul, at least when I think of Paul, I, I often think of a very serious-minded, logical, Spock kind of a person. Uh, because when you look at many of his letters, they're, they're very outlined and logical arguments and reason, and, and that's just what I picture in my mind. But there are, a, there are a handful of letters where his emotion just comes through very clearly and vibrantly. Uh, a couple of those we've already studied in past years, Galatians. Uh, back in 2020, we started into the book of Galatians, finished that, I think, there a little bit into 2021. But that's one of those letters where Paul's emotion, his, his jealousy for these people that he loves are being led away by false prophets. It just bleeds through the pages. 1 Corinthians is, is the other book where really his emotion is there. We see him again jealous for these people who are being led astray by false teaching as well. That was a study we did back in 2017, and 21 months worth of study through that first letter to the Corinthians. But, but I believe that, that we find Paul's second letter to the Corinthians to reveal far more emotion than even these others would reveal. Personal, passionate side of Paul that comes through. In this letter, his heart for the disciples just bleeds through every page, and that's why we're titling this series The Heart of discipleship, or you could say the heart of a disciple maker. So for the next year at least, I would say we will be working through this letter line by line uh, to discover uh, Paul's heart, but, but Jesus' heart for others. And, and the goal of that is that the Holy Spirit would cultivate and grow in each of us that same kind of heart for others as we work to disciple and make disciples of Christ. And there's, there's one line in this, this whole letter that to me just gives a good snapshot. And it's in chapter 6, verse 11. And here's what it is. Paul says, our hearts are wide open to you. Our hearts are open to you. That's the heart of a disciple maker. If we will make disciples, if we will teach them to observe everything that Jesus commands us, then it begins with a heart that is wide open towards other people. And so without further delay, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and the first seven verses. And so we'll let the journey begin if you would follow along as I read those verses today. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, 
It is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in our comfort. Father, we come before you today and inaugurating this series and asking you to work. We want you to work today. We want you to bring comfort to those who are in affliction. We want you to encourage those who've been comforted to comfort others in their affliction. We pray that we would be better disciples and better disciplers on the other side of this sermon, but we certainly look into the future and think on the other side of this series, God, of what you're gonna do in this church your church, and we look forward to it, and we give you praise for it. Help us now as we look at these words. Give us understanding. Bring us to repentance. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we could spend an entire sermon covering the first couple verses, the, the, what we call like the opening, the salutation. And, and those of you who've been around, you know that I could do that. Uh, I could dig that deep into those words. But I want to just kind of summarize it very briefly. Paul is writing a letter. He does mention Timothy, who we know to be one of his fellow laborers. Timothy knows the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth knows Timothy. And so Timothy is somehow involved in the writing of this letter. And they both send their greeting. It's addressed to Corinth. We know a little bit about the church at Corinth. We'll learn more. I'll sprinkle some things in as we work through uh, different texts and different passages. But notice that he also writes it to all those who are in Achaia. This is a letter that's meant to be shared with that particular region. And so you can look at the maps in the back of your Bible. You can find Corinth. You can see that it's in the region of Achaia. One thing I want to mention about Corinth as we get started is it was a privileged city. There was a lot of wealth in Corinth. Uh, they had a lot of privilege and honor about them. And that will come in handy to know as we work through the whole of the letter. And Paul offers them a greeting of grace and peace from both the Father and the Son. And see, that wasn't so bad, was it, for the first couple of verses. But, but like Paul's passionate letter to the Galatians, there's something missing in the letter to the Corinth, the second letter to Corinth, that we find in his other letters. It's a Thanksgiving section. He usually begins and says, hey, I'm Paul, I'm writing to you, grace and peace, I'm thankful for, and he, he, he lists out some things, includes a prayer in there usually, but he doesn't do that here, and I don't think he's not doing that here or to the Galatians because he wasn't thankful at all. He is emotional, and he is being driven to dive right into the content of what he wants them to understand in the letter. He is thankful for the Corinthians but his emotion overtakes and he begins with these words, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Let's talk about that God of all comfort uh, for a moment. As we've discussed before, to, to bless God is to not, not to give him things that he needs or things that he deserves in a sense like we think of him blessing us, but it's to give a glowing report of who he is and what he's done. It's to recognize the blessings that he has given to us. And the roots of these types of blessings that we find in the New Testament, they run deep 
into the pages of the Old Testament. They run deep into what they would practice typically in the synagogues, reciting these blessings back to God. But, but a distinguishing mark here is that Paul connects God the Father and the blessing that's being spoken to him with our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a little bit of a, a flex. It's a little bit of a pushback against those Judaizers, those who were dismissing Christ in the church at Corinth and other locations to say, no, the blessing goes to both. Both are worthy of the blessing. Also note, already as we're in the third verse of this letter, Jesus has been mentioned three times. And so here Paul shines the spotlight on two particular aspects of God's character. He says, he's the father of mercies. Uh, that our God is merciful should come as no surprise to us. We understand his mercy. As John just saying, we were carried to the table. We understand we, we have no right, but he's shown mercy to us. There are stories in the Old Testament that speak of his severe judgment upon people, but those pale in comparison to the stories that show of his great mercy towards people as well. And defining what Paul means by mercy can be a little bit difficult because in Scripture it can mean different things. It can, it can be along the lines of, of steadfast love that he, he is long-suffering towards his people. He continues with his people. It also can carry the idea that he pities and shows compassion towards those who are deserving or not deserving of that pity or compassion. And I think that's the idea that Paul has here. It's that idea that he is compassionate towards the afflicted. That's the primary focus of 2 Corinthians. He means to highlight that our God is the Father of compassion. Psalm 103, 13 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his faithful followers. So as we encounter pain, as we deal with suffering and affliction in this life, we're often tempted to think, no one sees me. No one understands what I'm going through. No one gets this. We so often and so quickly conclude that even God has abandoned us. And that's not true. That's, that's never true, in fact, as we look at Scripture. The, the Father of compassion, He sees us. The Father of compassion never leaves our side. Think of Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers. And, and what does it say multiple times there in his story at the end of the book of Genesis? The Lord was with him. I think of Hagar uh, who, who was sent out of Abraham and Sarah's camp into the wilderness to die. And who comes to her? The Lord comes to her. And the Lord assures her. You know what she does? She names God. The first person in the scripture to name God is this handmaiden named Hagar who had been kicked out of the camp and left in the wilderness to die. And you know what she names God? She says, you're the God who sees me. Why? Because he's the father of mercy. He's compassionate. And that leads to his next description that he gives us. He's the God of all comfort. The word Paul uses here is, is this Greek word, parakalesis. 
It's actually similar to a word that that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit, the the comforter that will come into our lives. And and to point out the significance of this word, paraklesis, it's used five times, five times in verses three through seven. It's important for us to understand what it means. Paul uses a version of the word 10 times throughout that text as well. So, So what does it mean that he is the God of all Paraclesis. Most of your translations are going to say comfort. That, that he is the God of all comfort, and that's certainly the preferred choice. But I like how George Guthrie, he argues that our understanding of comfort in the English language falls a little bit short of, of what is meant to be conveyed by this word. So he argues that encouragement, the God of all encouragement, is a better word. And so, so think of it this way with me. When, when we comfort someone, we come alongside them, We may offer a hand, we may offer uh, a hug, and we we say things like, it will be all right. Uh, In time, things will work out. Comfort in our minds can be passive. It can be just, just being there or being present. But on the other hand, there's encouragement, which isn't as passive as comfort. There's an actionable approach. It means to embolden another in belief or action. It's more than comfort, it's to embolden them and help them move forward. David Garland explains it this way, the comfort Paul has in mind has nothing to do with a lingorious feeling of contentment. It's not some tranquilizing dose of grace that dulls pain, but a stiffening agent that fortifies the heart, the mind and the soul. He goes on to write this, comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation, God's comfort strengthens weak knees and it sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. Encouragement, he is the God who comes and lifts us up and propels us forward in this life. One more thing that's in this statement is the word all The word all suggests that there is a sufficiency of encouragement that we find in God. What I mean by that is is that the word all demands that he is the one-stop shop when it comes to encouragement and what we need. In your darkest times, you may reach out to a friend and you may reach out to a pastor and that's okay. But if that pastor is worth his salt, or if that friend is a friend indeed, they will not attempt to comfort and encourage you with their own words, but they will point you to the God of all comfort. They will point you to the one who can truly comfort you, and the one who can truly bring hope to our lives. And so Paul begins by offering the praise to the Father of mercies, the God of comfort, because Paul himself, as we will see, he's experienced his compassion. He's experienced the encouragement time and time again, and he wants to remind the Corinthians of that right out of the gate as the letter begins. So continuing with his description, Paul now brings the God of all comfort from from what I would call the ethereal realm into the day-to-day lives of the Corinthians. Notice verse four, he says, "He, he is who comforts us in our affliction. It's not just that, oh, he's out here comforting all of these other people. No, he comforts us in our affliction. He is personal. He's not just doing those things elsewhere. Here we find another term that gets a lot of playtime in the letter, the word affliction. 
pressure, to be burdened, uh, to be in distress. And there's no doubt that Paul intends for this to connect to the idea of persecution, that he is undergoing the burden and the stress and the distress of life. As a matter of fact, in the immediate context, if you'll just look down at verse eight with me, this is what we'll talk through next week. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul says, I know affliction but I know comfort too. Truthfully, as we look at scripture, um, Paul was very afflicted. Out of all of the people that we follow in scripture, he, he'll talk about this later in chapters 11 and 12 of 2 Corinthians. We may be there by 2028 or something like that, but he talks about the shipwrecks and the beatings and being stoned and, and, and even death itself. Paul gets affliction, and so Paul gives praise to the Father that his affliction that he has experienced has always been met or counterbalanced with strong encouragement and comfort from the God of all encouragement and comfort. It's never left out of balance. And I hope that's been your experience because it's been mine too. During the hard seasons of life, God meets my affliction with his word. Sometimes it's a timely passage that it's just there in my own reading plan. Sometimes it's a, a sermon or a podcast that I'm listening to. I remember one time in, in, in some of the darkest days of my mind as this church was struggling, I went to a conference and some guy got up and his message title was, What to Do When You Want to Quit. I thought, whoa, okay. He summed it up in one word, don't. <laughs> but God met me in my affliction with his comfort and encouragement. Timely sermons, timely words and acts of kindness from other people. Uh, we're just about to celebrate Judson's um, 11th birthday. That'll be next, right, 11? Are you gonna turn 11? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Make sure he knows. <laughs> It'll be next Saturday. And uh, I know many of you have experienced the pain of miscarriage, have experienced the pains of working through those processes, and we almost lost Jetson. Uh, we were right at the end of Faith's first trimester, and um, I remember it being a Saturday night, and I was working late, which is unusual. I, I don't like working late. The sermon for Sunday was done. Uh, but there was another family in our church, um, Jeff and Alicia Brenneman. Jeff is Lisa Brenneman's son. And they had just lost their baby, Shiloh. And so I was here late on that Saturday night putting together a, a sermon for their memorial service that was going to be that Sunday afternoon. And so I was overwhelmed by the God of all comfort and compassion as I was working through Psalm 139 and texts that I could share with this family that I loved that next afternoon. And I got home late enough that Faith was already in bed and I crawled in bed hoping to get some sleep before Sunday. But I woke up early in the morning and I heard voices 
and I went out into the living room and Faith was on the phone and she was just kind of getting off the phone and uh, she said she was talking to our midwife. We were gonna go that route because we were too new on our insurance plan for them to cover maternity and so we were trying to find a cheap option. We've done this three times. Surely we can do that for the fourth. And she told me that, that, that the midwife thought she was miscarrying. And I remember immediately in that moment of my affliction, the God of all encouragement had spent hours the night before preparing me for that very moment. My mind didn't go to darkness. My mind was consumed with the light and the hope of Christ in that moment. That wasn't anything I had done. That was everything he had done to prepare me, to meet me in my affliction with his encouragement. That's our God. That's who he is. That's what he does. But what I love about verse 4 is the promise. Check this out, that that encouragement that he gives, the encouragement we receive in our times of need, it doesn't terminate with us. It's not meant to end with us, but rather it's to be passed on to others who need encouraged in their times of affliction. Paul writes, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So that, that phrase, so that indicates there's a purpose here. That God has an intention. So it goes like this. God comforts you in your affliction so that when you see other people in their affliction, you can go to them and comfort them with the same comfort that God has comforted you with. There's a purpose. There's a bigger plan. There's a bigger story. I like how Guthrie summarized this. He says there are two sides to the coin of encouragement. The side that identifies with the suffering of another person and the side that takes the opportunity to encourage them. So you're suffering. Think of it this way. You're suffering. And I hope you put some things in your mind right there. I hope you think of things you've been through in the past that you think, I don't know that there's any reason for that. Why would that evil have ever happened to me? Your suffering enables you to empathize with those who are suffering. Because you know how they feel. You know the grief. You know the loss. You know the pain. You know the fear. You know the doubts and the questions because you've asked them before. You know what it is to grope through the darkness of the affliction desperately searching for light. By the way, that's, that's why I love the Psalms so much. That's what many of the Psalms are. These are sufferers. And they give voice to us. They, they, they help us understand, okay, this psalmist gets grief. This psalmist understands loss. Second thing, your encouragement. That is the encouragement that you receive from God. It enables you to encourage others in their affliction. It's exactly what Heather modeled for us this morning. She knows the comfort that comes in those times of grief. And she's equipped to share that with others. I remember the night 
we were here finishing up Awana and we got the call that Lisa Brenneman's husband had died. And it was sudden and I knew in my mind immediately there's one person that needs to be there who will understand what she's going through. I didn't even have to ask that person. It was Mitzi Taft. Mitzi knows what it is to lose her husband and so she, was, she beat us there. I think we got there at the same time but she beat me to the porch. She already had her arms around Lisa. She was hugging her. She was comforting and encouraging. A few Wednesday nights ago, I think it might have been the same Wednesday night that Heather referenced her sharing some of the things God was doing in her life. Um, Tori was there. And Tori just, he just shared his appreciation uh, to Aaron and Holly and to my in-laws, Don and Gayla, and said that he, he appreciated their openness and asking for prayer and inviting encouragement for their kids who have gone astray, for their prodigals who had left, and, and they've been open and honest in, in asking for prayer for, for those kids. And Tori and Melissa know the struggle of that, and they, they, Tori, Tori just, I was up there with tears coming down my face because I was thinking, this is the church. This is the church. He's finding encouragement in their, their humility and willingness to say, hey, will you pray for us through this stuff? And they found comfort and, and they can encourage them with the comfort that they found from God. That's why it is so very important, we have to get this, that we be humble and open. We need to show our vulnerability. We need to share our suffering and affliction. Because if people are going through suffering and affliction, and they can't think, well, that's a room full of people that have it all together, and I'm just broken to pieces. No, we're all broken to pieces. We're all afflicted. We all deal with these struggles in life. And we have to be open and honest. Because the comfort we receive can be an encouragement to others who need to receive the same comfort. As we move into verse 5, Paul draws our attention to Jesus making a bold statement. He says, for, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Here Paul reminds us that to follow Jesus is to suffer like Jesus suffered. Luke 9, 23, Jesus is so upfront with us about this thing. He doesn't say, hey, you want to follow me? It's just a ticket to heaven. It's going to be good. He says, no, you have to die daily. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Following me will be difficult. There will be suffering that is involved in it. And Paul was so on board with that. You may remember he wrote to the Philippians, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. And boy, did he know it. We'll see that in coming passages. Why did Paul want to know it so well? Because to know Christ, to truly know Christ, is to suffer. It's to experience affliction. But here Paul's focus isn't so much on the suffering end with Christ, but instead on the comforting end of Christ, being encouraged by the very one who suffered on our behalf. He's the one who offers us the encouragement. As we stated earlier, our affliction is always met with strong encouragement and comfort. 
I like this passage in John 16. I use it sometimes as I'm trying to help people think through their suffering. But Jesus offers this encouragement to his disciples. He's, he's just talked about the difficulty of the last days that are coming. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and you will lament. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And he gives this great illustration. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. Why? For joy that a human being has been born into the world. And Jesus says, so also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. The psalmist would say it this way, weeping may endure through the night, but joy will come in the morning. And that truth gives way to verse six where he says, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. In this verse, I love it because Paul essentially says, you, you can't lose. I mean, with God, it's always a win-win. It doesn't matter which direction you go, what scenario you put in front of him, because if we suffer, Paul says it benefits you Corinthians. And if we're encouraged, it benefits you Corinthians on both ends. Kent Hughes said this truth about this. I, I love it. He says, this truth endows all Christian living with an elevated importance. Why? Because your suffering has a purpose. Your encouragement has a purpose. The comfort you receive from God has a purpose, and the purpose is bigger than you. The purpose has to do with the people who are sitting around you this morning who need to be reminded of the hope of heaven. Your purpose is bigger uh, and your comfort is, is bigger than you because it may be about the person you work with that, that tomorrow they're going to come in and say, hey, my, my spouse left me. Or maybe you're going to go out to eat afterwards and the waitress is just having a bad day. And God's equipped you and comforted you to be able to encourage because the purpose is bigger than you. It's about discipleship. It's about helping other people faithfully follow Christ. Paul isn't lamenting in his affliction. He's saying, I was afflicted so I could help you and minister to you. And so Paul's encouragement to them and to us today is, is endure in the suffering. Meaning that we trust God in the seasons of suffering. We trust his heart for us when we can't see his hand, as Spurgeon would say. And this, this goes back and takes us back to our hatred for all things uncomfortable. <laughs> Listen, we, we don't like to be uncomfortable. We like our comfort. We like things in their place. And so, so when discomfort comes and when affliction comes, we do everything we can to try to escape it. To, to worm our way out, to pull the, the eject lever to just get us out of the crashing plane. But what Paul says here is, if you endure discomfort, you'll find a comfort greater than you could have ever found on your own on the other side. 
it will make it that much better. It's like you know you're going to go eat somewhere really good at the end of the day, and you could spend the entire day. Maybe let's just think of Thanksgiving, right? You're going to have dinner at two, and you spend all your time snacking on the relish tray and chips and nasty stuff like that, and you sit down to eat that meal, and you're full. And you can barely eat some of the dressing and the green bean casserole and the good stuff that you've been anticipating and looking forward to. It doesn't mean as much to you, but if you, if you endure, oh, it means all the more. It's so, it's so good. Because there's been what? There's been suffering. That's what you guys are like, I'm doing that right now because it's lunchtime. The comfort that God gives will be beyond your imagination what you could have ever thought possible as we endure the trials. And finally, notice Paul's summary in verse seven. He says, our hope for you is unshaken. We know that as you share in our suffering, you also share in our comfort. Now, I I love the word hope. I think the older I get, the more I appreciate the word hope. Paul doesn't use the word hope lightly. We use the word hope lightly all the time. But it's a word that conveys an anchor that will not give way despite wind, waves. It provides stability to the vessel. And so despite the fact that the Corinthians are struggling in their faith still, they're still struggling in their faith. Paul's written to them technically, historically, this is his fourth letter he's written to the Corinthians. We only have two in the canon of scripture. This is the fourth time he's wrote, they're still struggling. They're still being afflicted. And even the relationship that Paul has with them is on the rocks. That's why Paul's writing this last letter because he's trying to mend the broken fences. And despite all of those things, Paul isn't discouraged. He's not in despair. He's full of hope because he he sees God working in their suffering and in their comfort. And that's a sure sign of the genuineness of their faith. That's a sure sign of the genuineness that they're true followers of Jesus. He says, my my hope for you is unshaken. I I haven't given up on you because God hasn't given up on you. See, his hope is not in the Corinthians. Then it would be shaky. His hope isn't in him. Then it would be shaky. But on the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, that's where his hope is. He's anchored in because that God never forsakes his own. He doesn't give up, he doesn't quit. And I wonder if you have that hope today. Do you know the hope that Paul speaks of, a hope that is unshaken, or or are the wind and the waves of this life pushing you from one extreme to the other? You have some good days, but then there's some really bad days. And things just seem to come untied and untethered. Well, my friends, you can have that unshakable faith if you anchor yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was afflicted for you, who suffered for you, who understands everything that Paul is writing about and everything that Paul has gone through for you. Isaiah 53 says it this way. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We seemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions 
and he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds were healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. That's our Savior who understands affliction. Jesus came to take our sin. He came to take the punishment our sin deserves. For our sake, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort made Jesus to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the promise of the gospel. That's the good news that we're called to embrace. That's the message we're called to anchor our lives in. Yeah, I'm not a good person. I'm a sinful person, but Jesus saves sinful people. There's my hope. There's my hope. I hope that is your hope. If it is, rejoice today. We have much reason to sing and rejoice. We have much reason to offer encouragement to others. Even the encouragement that we find in our salvation with others. But if that's not you, and if, you're, if you find yourself vacillating, you don't have that hope, please don't leave today without letting us answer your questions. Letting us open God's word and show you more of these truths. Cry out to him today. Call on him today to be your savior. Now, because Jesus has taken our affliction doesn't mean that our lives will be free from affliction and suffering. We already covered that. Jesus says there's going to be suffering if you follow me. In fact, one of the reasons that, that Paul is writing this letter is to dispel the lies because some people were saying in the church of Corinth, see how much Paul suffers? See how afflicted he is? See how weak he is? Surely you can't believe this guy's an apostle. That was the argument they were making. Like they thought, if you're truly following Jesus, Paul should be driving the best chariots. He shouldn't have to be a tent maker and shouldn't have to be put in jail sometimes. See, that, that same truth is still pervasive today. It's never really gone away. You've heard it before. You, you've probably thought it before, at least on this level, because we tend to think that God... Anytime we, we are in a, a season of affliction and trial or suffering, we think, oh, God's mad at me again. That's our knee-jerk reaction. That's our instinct to think, oh, he's just, lightning bolts are coming down. He's punishing me. That's not the nature of our God towards his children. That's wrong thinking. That's the thinking of the Corinthians. We've got to dispel the lie. God brings affliction so that he might follow the affliction with his encouragement and comfort. He brings affliction because affliction grows us. He brings affliction because we, we move through the process of affliction and we're comforted and then we're, we're, we're activated to share that comfort with other people and prepared to do so. God has his purposes and his reasons. So don't run from it. Let it drive you to him. And that's the final piece of encouragement I, I want to encourage you with. Get involved in the lives of others by using the comfort that you've received from God to comfort them in their affliction. How do I do that? 
Let me give you a few things. One, be an example to others in the way you suffer. Suffer well. Suffer with faith. I love what Heather's dad said, the last thing. Finish strong. Finish strong. Be an example to others. When they look at your life and they see, ah, oh, man, the affliction, the suffering that person's going through, how are they standing on their own two feet? My friend, by the grace of God, be an example to others in the way you suffer as Paul was an example to them. Second thing I would say is this, share your suffering and your affliction. Be honest about your struggles. You don't have to, to cover those things up. You're not gonna scare me away to think, oh man, you must be cursed. No, we just covered that. That's not God's intention and that's not his point. You need to share those things with others. One, for your own benefit. There's no Rambo, lone wolf to wolf den mentality in the Christian life. We're in this together and you need others to help bear the burdens that you're enduring. And other people, as we've already said, they need to hear and they need to know, oh, so suffering and affliction are a normal part of the Christian life. They need to understand that. They need to hear that from us. Third, we pray for others. But we pray as one who understands suffering. Isn't that true? Some of you can pray so much better for people, and maybe even with greater burden, greater understanding, because you've suffered in the way they've suffered. You understand what they're going through. You understand the grief. You understand the loss. You understand the pain, and it's, it's equipped you to pray with, with greater authority and greater specifics for those people, and we must pray. And then finally, we offer words of encouragement that point them to the God of all comfort. I'm not asking you uh, to, to, to be Jesus <laughs> to people. I'm asking you to point people to Jesus. That's what it is to disciple. That's what it is to encourage. This is discipleship. This stuff is the church in action. This is where we must excel as a church because the comfort that the world is offering is anemic. Do you ever listen to the media when they talk about things like Ukraine and when they talk about mass shootings and things that are going on in our country? They have nothing to offer. We have everything to offer. And that's what we're called to do. The God of comfort that has comforted us. My friends, the comfort we offer this world cannot be measured. It can't be bound, it can't be explained. That's what we offer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I'm gonna ask you to bow with me this morning. I wanna give each of us just an opportunity today to, to be responsive. I hope you see very clearly 
These words are not my words. These are God's words today. And we're called to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so today, maybe, maybe you're here and you're saying, I do not have the hope. I don't have my life anchored into something as secure as Jesus. Please come today. We've got people that would love to show you Jesus from the scriptures. And you can come during this time of quiet. We'll take you into the room over here to the side where we can pray and encourage you. But I know some are here today and you're in the affliction. You're in the suffering. Be on the lookout for the God of comfort, the God of all comfort. And I would venture to say that every one of us, we know somebody who's suffering and being afflicted. And today, our Savior is saying, hey, why don't you go to them with the comfort that I've given you and share it with them? Maybe pray for them right now. Maybe put a plan together in your mind right now. I need to call them. I need to have lunch with them. I need to sit down and talk to them. Whatever you need to do in this moment, this is, this is between you and the Holy Spirit. And I just want to give you a moment to pray. And then I'll pray for us to conclude us. Father, today we rejoice in the comfort that we've received. Past, present, what we know we'll receive in the future. During seasons of affliction and suffering. Thank you that we do not navigate this life alone. But God, there are people all around us who are attempting that very thing. And I pray that you would position us and you would burden us and you would open our eyes to see. Lord, those whose anchor is just gone. And they're being, as the scripture said, just tossed to and fro in this world. Help us to be an example. Help us to be prayer warriors. Help us to be bold to step into their lives. And share truth with them. Share the hope of Jesus with them. Share with them that if we trust in you with all our heart and lean not to our own understandings and all our ways acknowledge you will direct our paths. That's who you are. God, help us to help us to be obedient. Thank you for the encouragement of today, the, the music, the, the testimonies, the encouragement that I've received in conversations. And we thank you most of all, Lord, for your word and your spirit at work in us and in your church. And so we thank you for this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.